0: 2 Kings chapter 9 verse 1 And Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets, and said unto him, Gird up thy loins, and take this vial of oil in thy hand, and go to Ramoth-Gilead whenever people are getting ready to run, they gird up their loins. The men were wearing these long robes, it's hard to run in a long gown. So they would take the back side of the bottom of the garment and pull it up between their legs and then tuck it into the front side of their belt. And then it would kind of look similar to a diaper, but it would be like shorts so that their legs can move swiftly and they can run really fast. So when a man is running his legs are completely bare, because he's girded up his loins, exposing his legs. And this is one of the reasons why they can recognize people when they are running, because they recognize the person's gait, they recognize the speed, the shape of the body, the color of the hair, and all that, maybe even the clothing. But they will also recognize the person's legs, they can see a runner from a distance and say, oh that's so and so. Elisha has told one of the other prophets to take Oil to Ramoth Gilead. This would mean that he's going to anoint a new king. 2. And when thou comest thither, look out there, Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and make him arise up from among his brethren, and carry him to an inner chamber. 3. Then take the vial of oil and pour it on his head, and say, Thus saith the Lord, I have anointed thee king over Israel. Then open the door and flee and tarry not. Again, this is another case of tell the truth and run. Prophets have to do this sometimes to save their lives. Sometimes when you say the truth, people don't want to hear it and they'll kill you. Once a new king is anointed, then his life is in danger and so is the prophet who anointed him, because other people who would rather be king than him will want to take him out, and he might want to take out the prophet who anointed him. And that is why the prophet will have to run as soon as he anoints Jehu to be the new king. In the Bible, we have seen that getting anointed means that God has promised that you will be king, but it does not mean that you are king yet. Because everybody who gets anointed, they do not become king on that same day. They just know that they are going to be the next king. Jehoram, also called Joram, is king in Israel and Jehu is going to take his place. Elisha told the young prophet to take Jehu into an inner chamber, meaning take him to a secret place where no one else would see what he's doing. And this is to hold the secret a little bit longer. For So the young man, even the young man the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead, 5 And when he came, behold, the captains of the host were sitting, and he said, I have an errand to thee, O captain. And Jehu said, Unto which of us all? And he said, To thee, O captain. At this point Jehu is a warrior. 6 And he arose and went into the house, and he poured the oil on his head, and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, I have anointed thee king over the people of the Lord, even over Israel. Elisha is the one who got the prophecy from God, but he sent a different prophet to anoint the king. This could be for a couple of reasons. It could be that Elisha is getting old and can't make the trip. It could also be that Elisha knows that if people see him approaching Jehu, even before he anoints Jehu, they are all going to know what it is about. And so Elisha has sent a no name prophet who doesn't have a big reputation So that people will think that that prophet is simply giving Jehu a message and not anointing him to be the new king. That way it will be a better secret. 7 And thou shalt smite the house of Ahab thy master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. Jehu is going to be the king of Israel and God is telling him that he has to kill the house of Ahab. This will be the fulfillment of the prophecy that was spoken against Ahab that his line will run out and there will be a different king. This is the generation in which Ahab's line is going to get wiped out. Jehu has been commanded by God that when he becomes king, he has to wipe out the line of Ahab of the king of Israel. 8 For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, meaning die, and I will cut off from Ahab every man-child, and him that is shut up, and him that is left at large in Israel. Meaning every single son of Ahab who could possibly become a king, they all have to die, from the youngest to the oldest. 9 And I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Bassa, the son of Ahijah. Those other two kings also had their lines cut off in Israel. Bassa was from the tribe of Issachar, and his line got cut off, so Issachar doesn't have the kingship. Jeroboam was from the tribe of Ephraim, and his line got cut off, so Ephraim doesn't have the kingship of Israel. Ishbosheth, his line was cut off, he was from the tribe of Benjamin, so Benjamin lost the kingship of Israel. And it never has explained what tribe Ahab is from. I still don't know what tribe Ahab was from, but his line is going to get cut off. 10. And the dogs shall eat Jezebel in the portion of Jezreel, and there shall be none to bury her. And he opened the door and fled. At this point the prophet has ran. He has prophesied that Jezebel will be eaten by dogs and she will not get a proper burial. This is because of her great sin. She usurped the throne in her own personal way by being in charge over the king when it was not her right. God never ordained Israel to have a queen only kings, never a queen, but she made herself a queen of Israel, and plus she was a pagan and she killed prophets. She even wrote letters using the king's name. That's why they say that the spirit of Jezebel is when a woman tries to rule over a man, but the heart of that Jezebel spirit is worshiping false idols, because that's what she did. But she also was vain, which we'll see here very soon how vain she was. She tried to rule over her husband. But there's a lot of talk about the Jezebel spirit today, which some of it is not really biblical. And people love to call anyone and everything Jezebel that they don't like. People are using that Jezebel spirit term as just an insult to any other Christian whose ministry they disagree with. The Jezebel spirit is when we have false idols and when we try to be in charge of God and other people who we should not be in charge of eleven Then Jehu came forth to the servants of his Lord, and one said unto him, Is all well? Wherefore came this mad fellow to thee? And he said unto them, Ye know the man, and what his talk was. twelve And they said, It is false, tell us now. And he said, Thus and thus spoke he to me, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I have anointed thee king over Israel. Jehu's friends came to him and said, Why did that prophet talk to you in private in the room? And Jehu comes straight out and tells him, You know he anointed me to be king of Israel. Why else would he be here? Jehu has spilled the beans. Thirteen. Then they hastened and took every man his garment and put it under him on the top of the stairs and blew the horn, saying, Jehu is king. They laid their cloaks on the top of the stairs and had Jehu stand on top of their clothes. This is how you pay homage to a king so that he doesn't have to stand on the ground. You have him elevated from the ground by laying down your cloak and having him stand on your cloak. They did the same thing for Jesus when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. They laid down their cloaks in front of the donkey so that even Jesus' donkey didn't have to walk on the ground. They were elevating him to the kingship by saying, you shouldn't walk on the ground, you are too good for that. So this is what they have done for Jehu, and they are blowing horns to pronounce him as the new king. 14. So Jehu the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, conspired against Joram. Now Joram had been guarding Ramath Gilead, he and all Israel, because of Hazael king of Aram. At this point Joram is still the official king and jehu believes that he should be king now. I think he's jumping the gun because you're supposed to wait until God makes you king, but he's going to jump the gun and make himself king by plotting against. Jehoram. Remember, King David loved the Lord. He never usurped any authority over King Saul. He never tried to take the crown from King Saul. He waited patiently until the Lord put him on the throne. But Jehu isn't willing to be patient. You can see Jehu is very arrogant because he brags that he's been anointed king and he should have kept it silent. And now he's going to take Joram's throne by force. This is a very arrogant man. 15 But King Joram was returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds which the Arameans had given him when he fought with Hazael king of Aram. And Jehu said, If this be your mind, then let none escape and go forth out of the city to go to tell it in Jezreel. Joram, who Jehu now wants dead, has gone to Jezreel to be nursed and doctored for his wounds that he got in the war. 16 So Jehu rode in a chariot and went to Jezreel, for Joram lay there, and Ahaziah king of Judah was come down to see Joram. Remember Ahaziah is Joram's friend because they're both pagans. Ahaziah the king of Judah is in Jezreel, so is the king of Israel, basically in the hospital. And Jehu is now on his way to meet them, I presume to kill Joram. 17 Now the watchman stood on the tower in Jezreel, and he spied the company of Jehu as he came, and said, I see a company, and Joram said, Take a horseman, and send to meet them, and let him say, Is it peace? The watchtower man sees Jehu coming, and he tells the king of Israel, and the king who is sick says, Go out and ask him if he's coming in peace or battle. 18 So there went one horseback to meet him, and said, Thus saith the king, Is it peace? And Jehu said, What hast thou to do with peace? Turn thee behind me. And the watchman told, saying, The messenger came to them, but he cometh not back. The king sent out a messenger to go ask Jehu if he was coming in peace, and Jehu told the messenger, You'll live if you get behind me, but if you stand in front of me, I'm going to kill you. The messenger obeyed Jehu and got behind him, instead of returning the message to King Joram that his life is in danger. Jehu doesn't want the message to get to Joram that his life is in danger, because then he might hide or run. He wants to be able to get to Joram and kill him. Meanwhile, the watchman said to the king, The messenger went out, but he never came back. 19 Then he sent out a second on horseback, who came to them and said, Thus saith the king, Is it peace? And Jehu answered, What hast thou to do with peace? Turn thee behind me. Joram has sent out a second messenger, and the same thing has happened. Jehu has said, If you want to live, get behind me, because if you try to go and tell the king that I'm coming, I'm going to kill you. 20 And the watchman told, saying, He came even unto them, and cometh not back. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu the son of Nimshi, for he driveth furiously. So I guess Jehu has a reputation for being a wild chariot driver, and the watchman recognizes his driving skills, and tells the king that he thinks Jehu is coming, and the second messenger hasn't returned. 21 And Joram said, Make ready. And they made ready his chariot, and Joram king of Israel, and Ahaziah king of Judah went out each in his chariot, and they went out to meet Jehu, and found him in the portion of Naboth the Jezreelite. This is the same field that God had cursed Jezebel and Ahab for stealing. Joram is sick, but he's up in a chariot because he wants to know what Jehu wants. The king of Judah, Ahaziah, is there as well. 22. And it came to pass when Joram saw Jehu that he said, Is it peace, Jehu? And he answered, What peace so long as the harlotries of thy mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many? Jehu is saying in so many words, I've been sent to take you out and your mother Jezebel because of your paganism and witchcraft. He's given Jehu his death warrant. 23. And Joram turned his hands and fled and said to Ahaziah, There is treachery, O Ahaziah. He's calling Jehu a traitor for trying to kill him, and he's warning Ahaziah, We need to run. 24. And Jehu drew his bow with full strength and smote Joram between his arms, and the arrow went out at his heart, and he sunk down in his chariot. Jehu used a bow and arrow to kill Joram. The arrow went straight through his heart and out the backside, and Joram fell in his own chariot. 25 Then said Jehu to Bidkar, his captain, Take up and cast him in the portion of the field of Naboth the Jezreelite. For remember how that when I and thou rode together after Ahab his father, the Lord pronounced this burden against him. Jehu was there when the Lord prophesied he has to be eaten by carrion birds in the field, so leave him here in the field and let the vultures eat him. 26. Surely I have seen yesterday the blood of Naboth, and the blood of his sons, saith the Lord. And I will requite thee in this plot, saith the Lord. Now therefore take and cast him into the plot of ground, according to the word of the Lord. 27. But when Ahaziah the king of Judah saw this, he fled by the way of the garden house, and Jehu followed after him. Ahaziah is running into the hothouse, or toward it. And Jehu has already killed the king of Israel, and now Jehu wants to kill the king of Judah as well. God is getting vengeance against the pagan kings. Ahaziah is a pagan as well, and God doesn't want pagan kings among the people of Israel. And Jehu followed after him and said, Smite him also in the chariot. And they smote him at the ascent of Ger, which is by Ibelium. These are distances that they are going across, it's not a small field. I guess they left that field of Naboth and they chased him all the way near Iblium. That was when they finally caught up with him and killed him. But it wasn't Jehu who killed him personally, it was Jehu's warriors who killed Ahaziah. And he fled to Megadu and died there. They got him with the arrow in Iblium, but he continued until he got to Megadu and that's where he died. So he was alive for a while, still being chased in his chariot. This is Ahaziah who is now dead as well. 28 And his servants carried him in a chariot to Jerusalem, and buried him in his sepulcher with his fathers in the city of David. Now the king of Judah is dead. 29 And in the eleventh year of Joram the son of Ahab began Ahaziah to reign over Judah. 30 And when Jehu was come to Jezreel, that's where Jezebel is because he's also been told to kill Jezebel. Jezebel heard of it and she painted her eyes and attired her head and looked out at the window. This means that she put on eye makeup and she fixed her hair and made herself really pretty, as pretty as she could do, and looked out at the window. She's a vain woman. She uses seduction to get what she wants. That is why she wears a lot of makeup and she has a really expensive hairdo. In the New Testament, Paul warned women not to have expensive hairdos because Back in ancient times, just like today, women would spend a lot of money on their hair and have really elaborate, expensive hairstyles. Maybe they even had gold braided in their hair, I don't know. But it got pretty elaborate. And it was a sign of vanity. And it was to seduce men and to get attention and to be powerful. Just like today when women get extensions and wigs and you know, $200 hair treatments and all kinds of crazy to try to look seductive and be powerful. And Jezebel also wore a lot of eye makeup. I believe she's dressing her eyes the same way that the Egyptians did because she's honoring the same gods that the Egyptians had, and they were really big into eye makeup because it's seductive. Jezebel is definitely a seductive, vain, Hateful, vicious, pagan, evil woman, and she's been responsible for a lot of prophets dying. However, a lot of people go overboard with this and they say that therefore God doesn't want women to have any kind of hairstyle or ever wear makeup. And that is not what this Bible verse is saying. It's simply speaking against vanity because we're going to read in the book of Esther that Esther wore all kinds of cosmetics and she definitely had her hair done, and she had beautiful clothing, and she wore cosmetics every single day, and she was a faithful servant of the Lord, and she was not vain at all, and she wasn't trying to seduce, and she wasn't trying to have power over people. So makeup itself is not evil. You can wear makeup, you just don't use it to be seductive or to manipulate people. But if you are simply putting on some makeup to look your best, that is not a sin. That's what Queen Esther did every day that she was in the palace, which was years and years and years. And she is honored as one of the great heroines of Israel. Makeup itself is not a sin, it's how we use it. And today there's a lot of women who use makeup and hair to be seductive. But then again, it costs a lot of money even to get a basic hairstyle. So if you have to go and spend $120 for a basic hairstyle, You aren't condemned for spending a lot of money to get your hair done, as long as you aren't doing it to be seductive, like, you know, the rock stars and the movie stars who are trying to seduce everybody and have power over everybody. God uses beauty, and he used the beauty of Queen Esther, and he can use your beauty as well to influence people, but we just aren't supposed to be seductive. 31. And as Jehu entered in at the gate, she said, Is it peace thou Zimri, thy master's murderer? She's reminding him that when Zimri killed his master he only lived for seven days afterward. She thinks that that will scare Jehu into not killing her. She looks seductive, but at the same time she's being insulting. Thirty two. And he lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? And there looked out to him two or three officers. In some translations it says two or three eunuchs because in the palace they would make men eunuchs so that the men wouldn't have sex with a harem. Three eunuchs looked out the window to show Jehu that they were against Jezebel and they were on his side and they'd be happy to get rid of her. 33 And he said throw her down. So they threw her down and some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses and she was trodden underfoot. Those three eunuchs obeyed Jehu and they picked her up and tossed her out the window. It was such a great fall that she splattered instantly and died. And her blood was splattered all over the horses as they charged into the palace. You could ride your horse into a castle because the entrance was tall enough for that very purpose. 34. And when he was come in, meaning Jehu, he did eat and drink and he said, Look now after this cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. He went in and first he refreshed himself by eating and drinking. And then after he felt better, he decided, well, she is a king's daughter. Let's go ahead and bury her. 35, and they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. The dogs didn't want her skull, her palms, or her feet. They had eaten the meatier portions of her body. 36. Wherefore, they came back and told him, and he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, In the portion of Jezreel shall the dogs eat the flesh of Jezebel. Remember, it was Elijah who had prophesied that Jezebel would be eaten by dogs. He was translated into heaven. 37 And the carcass of Jezebel shall be as dung upon the face of the field in the portion of Jezreel, so that they shall not say, This is Jezebel. Meaning no one would be able to recognize where she was or go to her grave because the dogs ate her and then they pooped her out and she became dung in the field. And that concludes Second Kings chapter 9.